I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. I really just have one question for you. Have you seen Bad Trip yet? I saw a girl today. I saw a girl, no way. I saw a girl today. And her name is Maria. I saw a girl today. The one that got away. I saw Holy cow. And her name is Maria. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Eric Andre singing his heart out in front of some very confused strangers in his hit new movie, Bad Trip. So, Bad Trip premiered on Netflix a few weeks ago, and I have to admit that I have become a little bit obsessed. It stars Eric Andre, Lorel Howery, and in perhaps her greatest acting role ever, Tiffany Haddish. But pretty much everyone else on screen is a real person who had no idea they were even in a movie until the director called cut and the hidden cameras were revealed. Bad Trip has been in the works for a long time. So when I had Lil Rel Howery on this podcast all the way back in December of 2019, he had just finished shooting it and told me all about how he almost quit on day one. On today's show, I'm sharing that short but hilarious story from Lil Rel, And then you'll hear a longer section of the interview I did last summer with Eric Andre, in which he talks at length about how he manages to pull off some of the most insane pranks ever. But first, here's Lil Rel Howery on Bad Trip. What else I got? I got Bad Trip with Eric Andre and Tiffany Haddish coming out next year. The prank movie, which is, (laughs) I'll probably never do a prank movie again. Cause it's too. Was it's it, too, it was real. Uh, it's real crazy, pranks? man. Yeah, because yeah. people. Was that Eric Andre's movie? Y- yes. Wow. He wrote. I'm excited for that. Starring in. It's <laughs> crazy. It was wild, bro. Yeah. It was one of. I almost quit the first day. Really? Because it was too out there. Man, or? we almost got killed. <laughs> I was like, yo, I didn't sign up for this. How, can you tell that story? Yeah, I mean, it was, it's a scene where we in a barbershop. Well, <laughs> yeah. I say this. Mm-hmm. We was in a barbershop scene, and you know we're stuck in this Chinese trap together. But you'll see what mm-hmm. how we're stuck. Yeah. We now they told us this is the barbershop with the security in and the cameras. Mm-hmm. They sent us to the wrong barbershop. Mm-hmm. So we walk in there. It ain't no security, no cameras. <laughs> the dude see us walking in, asks the questions. He gets mad, grabs his blade. Yeah. It almost looked like he was looking for a gun, couldn't find it. Yeah. Grabbed his blade. 
chase the anger in his eyes. I'm like, <laughs> we about to die. So he chases out the shop. I fall to the ground. I hit my elbow. He got the knife over me like this. The cop that we had, the security had to almost tackle him to stop him. Oh, my God. And I was like, I remember just walking off set. Yeah. I called an Uber oh, back to my this, hotel. Yeah. I called my manager. I said, hey, yeah. man, I quit. Mm-hmm. I almost got killed the first day. <laughs> I don't want to do this no more. This is insane. Eric Andre is my friend, but he can kiss my butt. I'm done. Did he talk you back into it? Yeah. He ca- I don't know how he did, too, because I was, when I tell you I was done, because mm-hmm. I told her, I said, look, we can't be coming to the hood with these pranks mm-hmm. and it's secure. <laughs> yeah. You got to up the security. These hood dudes going to react differently. Yeah. The man was finna kill us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he signed the release. Like, oh, man, I almost killed y'all, man. I'm like, what? He just wants to be in the movie. He didn't even, but I'm just thinking yeah. about that. He didn't even know that at first there yeah. was a movie. Yeah. He was going to kill us. Yeah. Found and, out it was a movie. Signed the release. Like, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I actually really was going to kill y'all, man. That's crazy. Jesus. I was like, yeah, but that, that was, and it, look, it was a lot of, it's very intense doing a prank movie, mm-hmm. you know, and Eric is used to doing that. And when you're not used to doing all these crazy pranks, I'm like, bro, some of this stuff is, this is good. We got to, yeah. no. That's this, wild. This is too much. But it's, a, it's really fun, funny. Though. Yeah. It's crazy funny. Yeah. Man, how the fuck did you get out of jail? We'll figure it out later. Damn it. We gotta get to Maria, please. No. We're going back to Florida right now. Trina's on our ass. And I, man, look, I can't do this shit, man. We gotta take the car back. Bud, stop living your life in fear of your sister, man. You're not crazy, Trina. And she's gonna fucking kill us. You need to stand up to your sister for once, man. Going back to Florida, all right? Going to New York. No. Come on, I gotta see Maria. Okay, that is crazy to listen back to. I didn't even know Bad Trip existed yet, let alone how wild it was actually going to end up being. Next up is a longer section of the interview I did with Eric Andre last year. We just happened to talk a couple of weeks after George Floyd was killed at the height of the Black Lives Matter protests across the world. So it was definitely an intense moment. Eric's Netflix special, Legalize Everything, in which he performs an extended bit about police brutality in relation to the reggae theme song from the TV show Cops, was about to come out. So we got into that up top before moving into his history of pulling pranks on The Eric Andre Show and now Bad Trip. So here's me with Eric Andre. How are you holding up? How are you? um... And I guess the follow up to that is, are you sick of white people asking, how are you holding up? I embrace it. I embrace it with open (laughs) arms. Um, I don't think, I don't think black people, I mean, this is an ongoing reality for black people, police mm-hmm. brutality. So like black people aren't shocked by this mainstream, uh, white people are shocked by this and Indi- people that were indifferent before or apathetic before are now forced to have an opinion and forced the people that were in- inactive before are now forced to be active yeah. because the killing of George Floyd was so graphic and everybody had such a front row ticket to it. So this is all the racism and, and, and white nationalism and police brutality and corruption in the justice system that I've been complaining about my whole life and black people have been complaining about my whole life. So this, is, this isn't a new America. The America that existed before George Floyd's death is the same America that exists now. I just think people that were in a bubble before, their bubble burst. So, which is a good thing. Now people that were inactive, like I said, are being active which is great. And that's why you see um, the turnout at these civil rights demonstrations and rallies is the, is the largest turnout in civil rights history. Yeah. So it's, it's ultimately a great thing. I think that like there's a connection too with 
the pandemic, people have been locked in their houses all day and they're, and they're on unemployment or they can't work. So in a weird way, that, that's helping the movement because people mm-hmm. are just like, can't wait to get out, bursting at the seams to get out and be active and, and work on something again. And this is such a noble cause to kind of dismantle the uh, system of police brutality we have. Yeah. I mean, it did occur to me watching your new special and then going back and looking at, you know, some of your other work again, that the police have been a theme in your work for for quite a long time, whether it's, you know, uh, Im- uh, impersonating police as you do at the beginning of your special and you did on uh, Eric Andre show um, and, yeah, and, and, and interacting and, with them as well. And Yeah. And, and like middle aged white people, like some people at Netflix and some people, um, the, guy from, the guy from the New York Times is like, oh, are you going to like change the cop joke or like maybe we shouldn't lead with the cop joke or like the cold open cop prank are you gonna cut that out now i'm like no guys (laughs) this is the best time to do these jokes i am blessed that i was clairvoyant in the production that happened in october that i could see that like like this is what we need we need to point out the absurdity of the police department and and what a fucking hypocrisy and a disgrace it is we need to point out police brutality i am like blessed that my stand-up special is coming out in this time with this i couldn't believe that the guy from the new york times that interviewed me he's so smart and brilliant and he was like aren't you gonna cut out the cold open of you as a cop now i'm like (laughs) no i'm pointing out that the absurdity in the job of a yeah. police officer. And what, My friend's a lawyer and he goes, I had to go to school for seven years to practice law. Why do these guys only have to go to school for like three fucking weeks to enforce? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Hairdressers have to go to school longer than cops. It makes no <laughs> sense. So yeah, I mean, like I, like I said, I've been complaining about police brutality and racism my whole life. So it's not new to me. I'm just like, now now people have a front row seat to it. Yeah. Thank God for camera phones and thank God that people, the, the people, God bless the people that filmed George Floyd's murder. Mm-hmm. They need to be, they need a round of applause because we wouldn't be seeing the change that's starting to happen now if it wasn't yeah. for that. People have just had enough. There's really, I think, nothing that, in, nothing that uh, breaks this down better in some ways than the part in your special about the, the theme to cops. The uh, yeah. the reggae the reggae theme to cops. Do you remember the show Cops? Did you guys ever watch the show Cops? Is it just me or is reggae the most inappropriate music they could have picked to open up the show Cops? You can't slap reggae over police brutality footage and call it a day. You can't, that's not an intro for a show. The intro to Cops is like you're under arrest, you unarmed innocent black teenager. Boom. Jamaica Mongom downtown. Rastafari. Welcome to the island of peace and purity. Just my boots, you disenfranchised transgender prostitute. Bam! Jamaica is a tropical island paradise. Our national currency is the delicious coconut. This is a system invented by rich, white, Christian, heterosexual businessmen. And if you don't match that description, then it is my job to subjugate and oppress you, motherfucker! For I am your judge, jury, and executioner! Butter, butter. 
Yeah, that's one of my oldest jokes. That's like right when I started doing comedy that, mm-hmm. that I, I dragged that joke across like 17 years of stand-up. Yeah, you didn't know how, how relevant it would be right now or maybe you did, I don't know. I think it's always been relevant. There's always <laughs> been police brutality. I, I think that the... I don't know. The police force is, it's like the the police force is an antiquated system, but their unions are so powerful. They're like mm-hmm. a mafia and they bully mayors into doing their bidding. And they're so, they're completely autonomous. So there's no oversight and they get away with literal murder, but they're mm-hmm. like a mob. They're like a hell's angel gang with a ton of money and a ton of political power. And that's what we have to dismantle right now. We need to put that money towards better resources that help marginalized communities. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I did see that they, they just, anyway, my, yeah. my, stand up, my yeah, comedy special comes out June 23rd. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? uh, every, every interview I've done for the it's, past like, week is so heavy. Yeah. So political, <laughs> so heavy. And I'm like, listen guys, I got a bunch of dick jokes coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the yeah, I mean that, jokes are on their way. Were you not, America? The other thing I was going to ask you about Cops is that I don't know if you saw, I just saw a news story that they delayed the season 33 premiere of Cops because of everything that's going on. <laughs> and I wanted to get your, your reaction I didn't know to they're that still, news. <laughs> I didn't know they're still in production. Yeah, they are. I, I Somebody was telling me about this article they read about how how horrible the TV show Cops is. Like mm-hmm. producers, when the people are being beaten and arrested, they go... Hey, if you sign this, we'll release you. And it's a television release form. It doesn't mean they'll be released. They like dupe them into signing the release form so they don't have to blur their face. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I heard. And also just the way it portrays cops as the good guys and like, you know, poor people and black people and marginalized people are the bad guys, are the antagonists and cops. Yeah. It's um and I read an article about how the cops that they film kind of turn it up a notch for the camera. Yeah, and like, they're on camera. Yeah, people have been shot unnecessarily and they've used excessive force to make good television. So I think yeah. the show Cops is pretty corrupt. Probably. Yeah, well, maybe it will never return, but I don't, I don't know if we, we can... We have a 33-season run. <laughs> I think we're fine. We're good. I think it's time to fucking hang up the jersey. You know? Yeah. Um, well, I do want to talk about comedy and your and your special um, and later, later topics. Um I heard uh, today that you got um, some advice from Dave Chappelle before taping this special. Is that is that accurate? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, he didn't. It wasn't like this grand phone call. We were mm-hmm. just pushing backstage at Hannibal Show in Chicago. And I was telling him about how I was nervous uh, about going into my special. And he was like, he's, he's very sweet and supportive and nurturing. He's very, like, and I, I kind of hang on his every word since he's yeah. like the Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he was just saying that, um, don't worry about being funny all 60 minutes. Just be, worry about being interesting. And he goes, and Eric, you are interesting. You're bomb <laughs> Don't worry. Take the pressure off. And it was not just a really sweet, nurturing moment from him. But uh, I thought it was very accurate. Because I, I, I think when I flashback in that moment, I flashback all, in my mind all my favorite comedians. It's like... Yeah, I might not be laughing beginning to end at a Bill Hicks album, but I'm just like on the edge of my seat, curious of his opinion Mm -hmm. about everything. You know what I mean? Same with Richard Pryor, Joan Rivers, Chris Rock, Chappelle. You know, like I'm just like, I'm fascinated by their opinion. They're so smart and they have such nuanced opinions. They're so interesting. There's so much depth to their character that um, 
I think that is sage wisdom from the master himself. Yeah. And like Chappelle and some of those other comics, I think you have a, a fan base, a crowd that will really go with you to some crazy places and, and wherever you want to go. How would you kind of describe your fans and, and your relationship to your fans? I think that my fans are like wild. They love anarchy. They, it's like the first time I've felt understood in my life. <laughs> but uh, they're really invested. They like it down and dirty and punk rock. They're not easily offense, offended, which is like, I think a misconception about a lot of like millennial woke culture. They're like the opposite. They like almost want to be offended. So uh, I am um, blessed and uh, I'm just so happy that I have have a fan base and I have a career because I was like down to my last dollar when I sold Eric Andre show to those one. Yeah. And that's really what kind of made you take off with, with those people and, and build a fan base was through that show, right? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you have some stories in the special as well about meeting your fans. So does that, uh, is there, have there been sort of odd instances of, of meeting your fans or do you always like to, when people, but they, always, like, they think I'm as crazy as I am on the show, which is a testament, I guess, to my performance on the show that it's, it's cause I'm completely insane. I'm like a, an unthawed caveman that <laughs> has been on the talk show and like, in reality, I'm kind of like a boring suburban. I meditate twice a day. Mm -hmm. I like try not to eat sugar. <laughs> I'm like very <laughs> kind of mild mannered, like yeah. day to day. Like if, I, if it's my birthday party, I'll turn up, but I'm not like, I'm not the guy on the show 24 seven. I get that out of my system in front of the cameras. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's almost like a disappointment when they meet me. I remember in Toronto, <laughs> I was getting a bon me sandwich at this Vietnamese place. I was online waiting to order my sandwich and this kid came up to me and he was like eric andre no fucking way ah! and i was like oh nice to meet you man and he, he just like i was so pedestrian and boring in that moment that he was just like he looked at me like i was a broken toy and he started punching me on my back he was like ah! and i was like ah, a sandwich for work so uh i'm not that great i, I yeah. wish i was crazier were you were you more of that guy when you started it i think that guy's in me Mm -hmm. always but uh that guy couldn't function in the real world 24 so i couldn't shop for groceries and just be like <laughs> everywhere yeah what was the original concept for the show and and how did you envision it at the beginning the show is pretty much the original concept has stayed the same mm -hmm. throughout, throughout from the beginning into adultism is so hands-off and, and creatively nurturing that like you're kind of seeing what it always was we filmed the first pilot presentation on my own dime in an abandoned bodega in Brooklyn, me and Hannibal and my director Kitao. And we like cleaned out a rat's nest of broken glass out of this abandoned <laughs> bodega and filmed the studio stuff in there. And then we went to a colonial Williamsburg type of place mm -hmm. uh, and filmed the slaves prank. And we crashed at McDonald's and we filmed the Ronald McDonald prank. Um, the show's always been kind of prank based and kind of what, what you see today. Yeah, and you've taken kind of a, a break since the since the last season. Are you? What's the well? What's the only deal? because only because on? of the movie, the bad trip movie, yeah. movie three and a half, four years to film. So we're doing a fifth season. I'm almost done with season five editing. Oh, really? That's going to come out at the end of the year. Yeah, I didn't want to take that long off, but it's just a movie. It was no small feat making that movie, so it took a while. Um, yeah, and, and, and yeah. So uh, if I had my druthers, I would have just put out season five right after season four, but. 
whatever. I'm taking a Larry David approach where I had to <laughs> yeah. do another project and then come back to the show, which is fine because we learned so much on the movie that we brought that into season five. And I think season five is the best season by far. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm I'm really excited to see Bad Trip. Uh, I was really bummed that I didn't get to... I was supposed to see it at South by Southwest, and I know that's where you were uh, supposed to premiere it. I'm sure uh, you're... Heartbroken. Heartbroken. Yeah, because I think that just would have been absolutely insane in front of that crowd, and Heartbroken. It, it does feel like a very... That will, that will, haunt, that will haunt me. That, that, that timing of the coronavirus, like just a week off, will haunt me forever. It'll yeah. haunt me forever. But... We ended up in the best place. We're on Netflix that has 182 million subscriptions. Like that, the fact that the movie is now on Netflix is like huge and it'll go across so many eyeballs. Like it's Netflix is better than a theatrical release. In my opinion. Yeah. Um, but do you feel like, I mean, do you feel like there is something lost in that, in that movie theater experience? Cause it is the kind oh, of thing yeah, that I everyone love, in the same uh, yeah, place. Yeah. I mean, what can I do? Yeah. You know, what can I do? The theaters are closed. They may never reopen. And I would have loved to have done South by Southwest, but the coronavirus isn't in any of our yeah. power to change. So what can I do? Yeah. But, but as far as like this new corona world that we live in, uh, the 21st century solution, Netflix is the best option by far. And if not a, a better option than a theatrical release, as far as like click of a button access and the amount of eyeballs that they have worldwide so i had uh i had Lil rel howry on the podcast uh last fall and he was telling some some stories from his experience on the on the movie i think yeah. he wasn't quite sure what he was allowed to talk about but he did talk a little bit about the um the barbershop situation yeah um, yeah and he basically said uh, that he he told me that he basically almost quit his first day because he was so <laughs> freaked out by what was happening <laughs> and his second day and his yeah. third day <laughs> Yeah, we got a knife pulled out on us right when he started shooting. He's never done pranks before. <laughs> yeah. And like his opening ceremony was this guy looking for his gun. <laughs> so I'll tell the audience the story. They didn't hear the yeah. Rel podcast. We'll get it from your side, I guess. Yeah, well, it's, it's the same as Rel's story. Me and Rel had a scene where our characters do a bunch of drugs, pass out, then they wake up and their dicks are stuck in a Chinese finger trap. <laughs> and we start running all over town with our dicks stuck in a Chinese finger trap and we can't get out. We're like, ah, help us out, help us out. And we we ran into this, and it's all real, hidden camera pranks. None of this is staged or scripted. It's all real, hidden camera pranks with real people. We ran into a barbershop with our dicks in a Chinese finger trap. And, and we were, like, deep in the hood in Atlanta. And this dude, this barber was like, oh, hell no! He went, like, in a rage because he thought we were just, like, freaks. Like, jerking <laughs> up our dicks in this barbershop. So he started looking for his gun, couldn't find his gun, grabbed his knife, chased us out. We can barely run in this finger yeah. trap contraption. The thing snaps. The guy's like about to attack us. Security jumps out. They're like, stop. Rel's like rolls under a fucking car. And uh, and then we were like, it's a hidden camera break. It's a hidden camera break. And the guy was like, oh, hell no. Y'all are hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I'll sign this release. When's the movie come out? And he, uh, yeah, the guy... The guy was cool. And then he was like, yeah, you guys should have do these pranks in this neighborhood. I'm done. <laughs> oh, man. You see any guards out here or anything? Better take your ass off. You better take off. You better fucking, you better run. Man, I'm gonna get my car and I'm gonna go to Mexico and I'm gonna just start all over, man. Get those clothes off and get the fuck out of here. Can I borrow your vest? I can't give you my vest. You my lookout. I never forget a face. Go. Thank you for helping me escape.
I mean, that's kind of the, the concept of the movie in a lot of ways, though, right? Is that you're going into places that maybe don't always get these kinds of pranks happening. Yeah. I mean, we wanted some stakes, you know, like Jackass and Sasha Baron Cohen, they set the bar so unbelievably high that like, unless you are risking your life, you you, you can't even come close to those guys. So, um, uh, yeah, like... You know. And you and you uh, you consulted Sasha Baron Cohen uh, before the movie or during or briefly, yeah. He just like invited me and my producer, my director, over to his house to like watch a rough cut of the movie. We were very sweet. We like drank wine. He watched a rough cut with us, gave us some notes, and he was just like, he's a mensch. He just was like, out of the kindness of his heart, just sincerely, just like gave us like a little quick crash course and like what to do for the reshoots and like what mm-hmm. not to do. And um, yeah, he was great. Besides the uh, the knife being pulled, is there a, a scariest moment on the on the shoot where you really felt like your life was in danger? Yeah, there was another guy in a bar that I was like, there was a scene. I don't even think we this made the final cut of the movie, but I'm like urinating all over this bar because I'm wasted at this cowboy bar, and this guy, uh, this like redneck guy, was like, "You better fucking get that piss away from me, or I'll break your face off," kind of guy. Mm. And then I kept, you know, lighting him up and peeing near him and being a menace, and he. Uh, He's like, he cracked his neck, took a shot of whiskey and got up to like <laughs> tackle me. And then like my safe word is popcorn. Like when I'm about to get punched, yeah, I'm gonna like almost get punched, but you don't want to actually get punched because you'll shut down production. So when I'm about to get punched, I go popcorn, popcorn, popcorn. And my crew is supposed to come in and call the bit, but I kept forgetting my safe word because my <laughs> was surging. So I kept saying goosebumps. So I'd just be like, goosebumps, goosebumps, goosebumps. And my director who's watching a video village through the hidden camera, like monitors, He's like, he said goosebumps. I don't know. Do we, do we stop? What's happening? Is that part and of the I look at security, like they'll be like off in the peripheral. I'll be like, goosebumps! Put a popcorn! <laughs> and over and save my life. Yeah, I mean, going back to the, you know, police brutality stuff, have there been moments on these shoots where you had close calls with police or confrontations with police? I got arrested. The uh, Eric Andre show, I got, I've, got, I've gotten arrested a couple of times. So, um, but that was almost more because of our own ignorance and not knowing how to produce hidden camera pranks properly. Mm-hmm. That was like us being naive and like wet behind the ears. So I went to jail season one. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. I mean, I guess the question is, do you feel like it's more risky for you to do this kind of thing than for Sasha Baron Cohen or, you know, Nathan Fielder or the jackass guys maybe, to do it? Maybe yeah, in a racial way. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it's more dangerous to be black in public period, clearly. Mm-hmm. Like, if George Floyd was white, he'd be alive. Mm-hmm. You know, I know friends. Somebody tweeted out, like, I got in trouble once for using a counterfeit $20 bill. And it's like a story I joke about at dinner parties. George mm-hmm. Floyd used a counterfeit $20 bill and he lost his life. So, uh, yeah, I guess. I don't really look at it like that, though. Because clearly, mm-hmm. Johnny Knoxville and Sasha Baron Cohen are at the level where they almost have a death wish. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like they're pranking, like Sasha's pranking terrorists. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I mean, like I'm not looking at those guys like with such woke eyes, mm-hmm. but I think it is in general in America, it's more dangerous to be black in public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without, without George Floyd wasn't pranking anybody. You know what I mean? Right. So, exactly. Uh, you don't have to prank somebody to have your life at risk just being black. Coming up, more from Eric Andre, including stories about his cameo on the Seinfeld reunion episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm and playing a hyena in the new version of The Lion King. 
I will also point out that we spent a few minutes towards the end talking about Eric's hilariously weird Larry King interview. This was, of course, before that legendary broadcaster passed away this past January at 87 years old. That's all coming up next on The Last Laugh. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued? What was in Al Capone's vault? Or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast, WikiHole, from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes on Wikipedia with host and friend of The Last Laugh, Darcy Carden, and her favorite comedian friends, as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to WikiHole, you will learn that's the sciencey term for eardrum. WikiHole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how the hell did we get here? Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. If you're enjoying this episode, please hit subscribe. You can hear our full conversations with Lorel Howry and Eric Andre, as well as so many others, including my interview with director Jason Walliner, who tells some incredible behind-the-scenes stories from my other recent favorite prank movie, Borat Subsequent Movie Film. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to those episodes and everything else from our free archive, and you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Eric Andre. So what I want to do now is kind of go back and, and look at some of your earlier credits and see if there's a, a story or, or memory that, that pops to mind. You mentioned uh, Larry David, and I actually wanted to start with that. Uh, your 
experience being on the the Seinfeld reunion episode of of Kerber Enthusiasm? Well, I, I didn't know I was going to be in the Seinfeld reunion until I showed up to set. Really? And then you you walk into the Seinfeld set. Yeah, I was like, get the fuck. Well, I saw I saw Seinfeld. I saw like Seinfeld and Jason Alexander and mm-hmm. like Julie Louis Dreyfus. And uh, yeah, it, that that was completely surreal. That was right when I moved to LA. That was one of the first and the only things I ever booked because the I'm really good. I'm good with improv, and the audition was all improv based. Mm-hmm. Whenever I had an audition that was just improv based, I would book it. But whenever it was like a script and I had to learn lines, I was like, Sorry, I don't want to learn lines. <laughs> so, so, so it was weird. I got like, this is one of my favorite shows. And I booked it right when I got to LA. I was like, oh, hell yeah. LA is going to be awesome. Yeah. And then I didn't book anything for like three years. <laughs> I scraped by on unemployment. Yeah, that was awesome. Were you a big Seinfeld fan? So what was that Dude. like to, to walk into the, into the set? And the- totally surreal. Totally awesome. I was like a little kid at Disneyland. And just chatting up the cast and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, and it was were, after my, and it was after Michael Richards. It was like three years after Michael Richard racist uh, stand up. Oh, really? He was like he was like extra patient with me and <laughs> black, any black person on set. He was talking to like for a long time and yeah. really nice, like overly <laughs> nice, too, really patient. So I was just like chatting his ear off, and he was just like taking it. <laughs> yeah. Did you did that whole did his whole outburst make you think about him differently than uh? That was one of my um, most influential stand up sets in my life. That that shaped my really. Shape. <laughs> <laughs> I was the cringiest, cringiest disaster on set. I've ever seen. <laughs> did it make you think about him differently though? Yeah, I also believe in forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I, I was just like, I saw that. I was like, that that was a fucking mess. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he walks around. Like, I don't think he secretly has a KKK hood in his closet. Right. I think that he was like getting heckled. He was bombing. He was trying to like shock humor his way out of bombing. Like he was Lenny Bruce, but he's not. He's not mm-hmm. a stand-up. He's just an actor with two different skills. And it was a total disaster. Uh, he apologized. I believe in accepting people's apology and I believe in forgiveness. So like, I'm not like, I, I don't think he's in the alt-right. Yeah. You know, I don't think yeah. he's, I, I think we got a much more dangerous racist people on our hands mm. than Michael Richards <laughs> yeah. right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. On the list of like bad guys, like mm. I think Mitch McConnell is way more corrosive <laughs> to the country than Michael Richards. I think you're right. I think you're right. So. Um, one uh, thing on your on your resume that I that I didn't know was going to be there when I was looking is uh, The Big Bang Theory, which I oh, have yeah. to admit I haven't seen that my, show. My, res- my resume outside of my show is pretty embarrassing. <laughs> outside of Kermit, that, uh, my show or anything that I've like written yeah. in the movie or my standard social, it's pretty bad. It's like two broke girls, Big Bang Theory, yeah, hot, a lot of, uh, hot in Cleveland, a lot of like bad multi-cam. multi-cam. Yeah sitcom but like when you're collecting unemployment and hot in cleveland's offering you three thousand bucks you're gonna take the three thousand bucks are there any opportunities on the in those situations to bring some like creative energy to it or do you feel like you're just there doing a very kind of Ah, too much no i I feel like if i don't control the writing i don't control the creative I think the writing is the foundation. I think television is a writer's medium. And I think like all I can do is have fun with my performance, but that is not the comedy I set out to make. But, you know, it was a learning experience and it was nice being on like a big budget union set to learn like to learn from the pros and how things are handled professionally. Like I took that 
how production works into Eric Andre's show. So mm-hmm. all those were learning experiences. Yeah. Um, I can't talk too much shit. They're just like not my style of comedy. Mm-hmm. What about something like The Lion King? Is there any uh, creative creativity there? That, uh, yes. And voiceover, yes. Because voiceover, they want you to improvise. Mm-hmm. So like none of those lines were scripted. That was me and Keegan-Michael Key just imp- riffing, 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 riffing. I mean, mm-hmm. we have to hit plot points. Yeah. Uh, I can't say it's like completely unscripted, but like in voiceover, they encourage you to improvise so much. I feel like ownership over. Yeah. Um, Were there any kind of jokes that you got that you s- snuck into? I don't remember. Show? I only saw the movie once at the premiere. I got to watch it again. I don't yeah. totally remember, but I remember getting laughs in the premiere. So that's all the comedian cares about. Yeah. Well, look at this. <laughs> we weren't expecting guests today. Would you two cubs like to stay for dinner? Yeah, stay for dinner. Because you look like a midnight snack. Can you just give me a little bit of space? I'm helping. We have talked about this before. I come in alone. I'm the lead distraction so everyone can circle. Okay, okay. Sorry. Don't be sorry. Just do it. I don't hate all my resume. I I like Man Seeking Woman and I like Disenchantment. Yeah. Those I'm proud to be a part of um but it's like the multi-cam sitcom stuff mm-hmm. I, i'm proud of lion king too yeah um mm-hmm. and i love john favreau um he he's just a great director he's mm-hmm. like he's just so smart and calm he's like a very calming force um and he's just been very sweet to me he's the only reason i got on that movie mm-hmm. so he's an ally and uh yeah, I'm not. I'm not embarrassed about my resume. It's like early multicam sitcom stuff that I had to do. Yeah, um, I was watching and reading a bunch of old interviews with you preparing for this, and the one that that really stuck out was uh, the Larry King interview. Yeah, I just, I just had to hear from you what that experience was like uh, sitting down with with Larry King. That's my, fa- that my favorite interview. I could tell. My favorite interview I've ever done, and and besides the one I just did for Playboy, <laughs> um, which was like, but. Uh, he was the best straight man. Yeah, he was he really the was. best straight man because he knew nothing about me. He had no idea who he was talking to. <laughs> He's 110 years old. He was completely out of his element, but he was like my old Jewish grandpa that I never had, kind of. Yeah. Know? So I just like, I relished in that. Now in the 60s, were a lot of your guests all whacked out on acid? No, they were normal. They I were think. normal? They you just... interviewed Sly and the Family Stone? Because they were out to lunch. Anyway, you went to Berkeley College of Music. <laughs> Larry, you went what? to Berkeley College of Music. You? That's a very distinctive school. I'm trying to have a. I'm, I'm trying to have a. I'm trying to be serious when I got a maniac here. Okay, it's not easy. Larry, you're coming down on me, and I want to. I'm not coming down on I you. I want to spread my wings and I'm fly. Curious. You just you you. Well, I'm bi curious, and I'm horny. Did you have any interactions with him afterwards or did he? No, but he was very much like, I want to do your show. I want to do Eric Andre's show afterwards. I was like, are you sure? Is that happening? (laughs) Did that happen? No, you know what? I think we forgot. (laughs) (laughs) So many years, that was almost four years ago. Yeah, yeah. Looking ahead to the season five, um, is there anything that you can kind of share or, or talk about what the what the overall vibe is or anything for people to look forward to uh i got rid of all my body hair except my eyebrows so i bicked my head bald i got rid of my goatee i waxed my pubic hair 
I gained 20 pounds. I got up to 205 pounds. I um, bleached my teeth. I tanned every day in a tanning bed. Um, I put on a ton of brute cologne. Um, and we just know how to produce pranks better. So like the pranks mm. are harder hitting. Uh, did the body modification. Uh, Hannibal gets up and quits mid-season. Hannibal didn't want to do the show anymore. <laughs> I was like, don't just quit, man. Like people are going to think we had a falling out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, just do like a little bit, do like a couple episodes and quit like mid interview as a joke, just so we yeah. have get some closure. He's like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> so we have like a funny moment there. And like, um, we have like a revolving door of great co-hosts, Lakeith Stanfield and Felipe Esparza. And there's an episode where we clone Hannibal and we make a Blannable clone. <laughs> we got great guests and a ton of rappers. We did Rapper Warrior Ninja again. We got um, Lil Yachty and Trippy Red and Talib Kweli and Danny Brown, Machine Gun Kelly. Um, I think we have more rappers on the show this year than ever. I don't know. It's the best season yet. We kind of like finally know how to make the show. Well, it's great <laughs> that you're able to shoot it before things shut down because it's like unclear oh my God. when things we are going to reopen. We finished shooting mid-February. Oh, and wow. then like two weeks later, it was just like... That is very thank lucky. God. We are so lucky. I'm glad I shot my Netflix special before it shut down. I did my tour before everything yeah. shut down. You're set now. You can just chill. I, I can just chill, kind of. <laughs> until, until I pay my taxes at the end of the year. Then I'm right. like, fuck. I got to stop ordering stuff off Postmates and Caviar, dude. It's like, yeah, that's the killer. Like $1,000 for a sandwich. They're like mm. totally taking advantage of the quarantine. <laughs> um, so we end every episode by asking comedians, who is, who is another comedian who has made you laugh the hardest in your life? Could be someone that you worked with or just watched or, or who comes to mind that really, that really makes you laugh? The hardest I've laughed at a TV show in the last 10 years is Nathan Fielder's show. Yeah. Uh, I cannot stop laughing. That show is so funny and so creative. And so every joke is completely unexpected and, and stream of consciousness. I think it's like one of the best shows on television and he's not doing it anymore. And I, I like every time I hang out with him, I beg him to do a fifth season. Yeah, please, uh, please do. Cause I, I would like that as well. Yeah. It's one of the, the hardest I ever laughed in my life is the Mr. Sparkle episode of the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. I laughed so hard I almost vomited. That was in twelfth grade. I laughed <laughs> so hard I had to leave the leave the room, and I started like hyperventilating. And one of the funniest jokes of all time I ever saw on a show was the rubber nipple salesman episode of Ren and Stimpy. Mm. Um, and that was like the first time I realized like comedy could be scary at the same time that it's funny. That's there's so much depth to a joke when it's like frightening and funny at the same time. That must have been a big influence on you. Huge number one influence, Ren and Stimpy. Cool man. Well, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to yeah, talk with me. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, good luck with everything. I'm glad that you yeah you got all that stuff done. So yeah, now you can just uh, you can just relax for the rest of the year while we all stay shut down and uh, while we all toil in misery. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> all right, thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, have a good one. Take care. All right, that's our show today. And that was just a taste of the inadvertent DMX tribute that closes out Bad Trip. I won't spoil any more than that. Thanks again to Lil Rel Howery and Eric Andre. Bad Trip is streaming on Netflix right now, so definitely check it out if you haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet. And by the way, you can see that scene from the cowboy bar that Eric was talking about during the fantastic credit sequence at the end of Bad Trip. 
So whatever you do, don't click away before the movie is over. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at Claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.